again, my name is Matt. I get to serve as the pastor at the Surrey campus. And tonight, I guess all the pastors were busy. So they asked me to come here. No, just kidding. Um, uh, it's my privilege to continue in our series called Light and Love. And we're going to be going through 1 John chapter 2, all of it. Okay, we're going to be going through, well, not all of it, but most of it. So if you do have a Bible today, if you have a Bible app, if you have it memorized, fantastic. But if you have a Bible, if you could turn to 1 John chapter 2, that is where we are going to be tonight. Now, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Tim started us off on this new series called Light and Love. And what we're doing is we're going through 1 John. And what we're looking at is John is saying, because of who God is, this should change how we relate to him and others. Not because of what we do, not because of what we know, but simply based off who he is, that should change our relationship with him and others. And so today I want to continue that. And what I want to, excuse me, what I want to do is first review what it means to be light and love. Like, why are we looking at this uh, sermon series? Why are we looking at this? What does it mean to be light and love? how light and love reveal false teaching, and then we will conclude by how do we stay and move in light and love. So the author, John, this is the apostle John, this is a disciple. He was an eyewitness to what he is talking about. He wasn't making this up. He wasn't just trying to persuade people. He was just giving a testimony of what he saw about 70 years ago. He saw the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And now he is passing it on to basically his church, to people that are in his circle. And we see as we read this, he writes with authority, not just his own authority, in fact, none. He says it all belongs to God. And it's really cool. Under this authority, you see his pastoral care, which is very nice. He refers to uh, the readers as beloved, children, brothers, sisters. It's really nice. But then in the next sentence, he'll make judgments and he'll call people liars and deceivers and antichrists, which we're going to look at today. And it's kind of a big deal. But throughout all of this, what John is doing is he points back to just a few main things that are going on. And it's this, this is what we'll proclaim. We will proclaim that Jesus is God. That's who he is. To have the son, you need the father. To have the father, you need the son, you need the spirit. This is who he is. And this God is love, as we'll see in 1 John chapter four. Um, love isn't just something that he does, it's who he is. And also light. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is not out there to get you, to trick you. It's not a mystery. He is the light. Now these truths, as John says, are fundamental to who we are, especially if we call ourselves followers of Christ. So if we're going to follow Jesus, these are very, very important things. We need to believe who he is, that he is love, and that he is light. And so much so that John says, hey, we're going to judge you based off these things. Now, here's the thing, judge. What? Why judge, John? Why do you have to do that? Like, I love judging, but I hate being judged. Why do we have to do that? Well, because there are some false teachers around that time who are in this body of believers in this church, and they're starting to twist some things. They're starting to say like, well, it, 
is sin really a bad thing? Does sin even exist? You know, because I've never sinned. And they're saying this. Now, these are called false teachers, but when I was in high school, we called these people posers. So when I, uh, I was in the band scene, I loved hanging out with the bands. It was very, very cool. And every time a popular person would come up and be like, hey, I like music too. We're like, <laughs> poser, right? And they just want to be our friends. We're like, no, you don't like music. I do, I do. I like this band and the <laughs> poser. You don't like it. But then every once in a while, they would say a band name that would tickle my interest. Like, oh, how do you know that? That's interesting. Okay. And then we start to ask and we start to ask. And so um, what John is doing at this time, pastorally, he is seeking both to challenge the false teachers. So the, those who are making these claims, he's saying, no, it's just not true if you look at who Christ is. But he's also encouraging the true believers to not be afraid. We know who Christ is. As he says at the beginning of this chapter, verse one, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now this is gonna lead us into our second point. I wonder the readers who are reading this, knowing that there's people who are saying things opposite of John, opposite of the gospel, I wonder if questions came up as they were reading John's letter, as if to ask, well, how do I know if I'm in the light? How do I know if others are in the light? Because like, if it's that easy to be out of the light, how, how do you know if I'm there? How do I know if my sins have been forgiven? Because Sometimes I still feel the weight of them. Sometimes I still feel that bad decision creeping up in my mind. Or how do I even know if I'm a child of God? Because I don't choose God all the time as first and foremost. Like, how do I know? And so in 1 John, uh, John gives us three ways to see if someone is truly a follower of Jesus. And we're going to look at the first two real quick, and we're going to spend most of our time on the third one. The first one is moral, morality and that is obedience. This is a moral test. As he says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. In the book of 1 John, we see the word love a lot, but there's another word that we see more, and it's know. K-N-O-W, knowledge. And what's happening is these false teachers are saying, no, we have authority because we have knowledge. And John's saying, yeah, but you're not God. <laughs> so you don't have as much knowledge. It's limited. And this is significant um, because they are trying to lead off their knowledge. But John says, no, 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 no. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as he did. Not just have the knowledge but be willing to trust him in doing the things that he did. You know, when I was in high school, my youth pastor wanted my whole school to know that I was a Christian. And to help with that, he gave me a wristband that said WWJD on it. And guess what? It worked. The whole school knew I was a Christian in about a week. And this was a very nice thing. It's a nice reminder. Do you know what WWJD stands for? What would Jesus do? So it's very nice. You look at it and before you make a decision or if you're in a situation that needs you to make a choice, you go, oh, wait, 
what would Jesus do? And that was great. The only problem is this gave Matt, teenage Matt, a little bit too much liberty and be like, oh, these people need Jesus. They're not, they're saying false things and they're talking about other things. And so what should we do? Well, what would Jesus do? I think he'd come back tomorrow. That, that's what I think he'd do. Cause they look like they're in a big argument over there. Or this person needs forgiveness and Matt, you're holding a grudge. What would Jesus do? I think he would wait until they really knew what they did was wrong, and then maybe he'd forgive them. But I think John's giving us a better task here, a better challenge. Not to just, what would Jesus do to ask that question, but to ask, well, what did Jesus do? And whatever he did, do that. So if you want to walk the best way possible, walk the way that light and loved walked. The second way is a social test. Love, again, we see love all throughout 1 John. Um, and he even says, don't hate your brother or those different from you, because if you do, the love of God is not in you. So the second way to find out if someone is truly following Jesus is to love one another. Why? Simply because Jesus loved us first. Love was seen in the person of Jesus. I love this. Love isn't just something that he did, it's who he is. And so if you want love, you look to the person of Jesus. Now I bet this was a very, very big deal for the Apostle John right now. Because it, at this part of his life, John was known as the Apostle of Love, right? The disciple, the beloved disciple. But before, um, in the Gospels, we see that he was known by another name, the Sons of Thunder. Now, it sounds like a wrestling tag team name, which is pretty cool, but um, why the Sons of Thunder? Like, I, I don't know. It's only mentioned once. However, it may come from this. As we see in Luke chapter 9, uh, Jesus and his disciples are going through Samaria to Jerusalem, and they're stopped simply because they're Jews. And what does John say to Jesus? Hey, should we ask that fire comes down from heaven and destroys them? Because I'll pray that right now. I'll do it right now. And Jesus is like, no, shut up and let's, uh, let, let's figure this out. But now, John has been with love for 70 years. He knows what it's like to walk with Jesus. He knows what it's like to trust him in cultural situations, in religious situations, in life and death situations, he knows what it's like. And so he's reminding people that this is what they're defined by. It's not by what they know, but it's by who they love. And if it's Jesus, they will love him and they will love others because that's who Jesus loves. Now the third way, this is our second point, how uh, light and love reveal false teaching. Here's where we're gonna spend the majority of our time. The third way that John says how we can know if somebody is truly following Jesus is what did they believe about Christ? So verse 14, if you have your Bibles, let's read. I write to you, dear children, there's great affection there, because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. 
Uh, one author put it this way that John is writing to the generations of the church to say, fathers who have gone before us, you know that God is true. You know that God is good. And young men, this is people who are in the battle right now. These are people who are suffering for Christ. And he says, no, this is good because Christ has overcome the evil one. So John wants to say, what is the appropriate stance and attitude of God's people to the world? So before we get into what we believe about God, first, how do we love the world? What do we do about the world? John says this in verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. This is the first time in this epistle that John mentions the, the word world, and we'll see it 17 more times. So, what is the world? Like when we, I get it, we live here, but how do you define the world? Uh, a couple years ago in 2017, there was a new, um, a new Greek translation of, um, of the New Testament that came out. His name was David Hart, and it was good. Uh, what he did is his goal was to just get the deepest of Greek into English. That's what he wanted to do. The only thing, when it came to the word world, he didn't change it. He left the word cosmos. Also the same with word. He left it logos because he said, uh, you know what? It's just, it's too deep of a meaning in Greek. There's no equivalent to it in English, which is great. That tells me that that's a powerful word, but it doesn't help me, Dave. Like, what is the world? This is good. Well, I think John helps us on what it means. And this is what he says. The world is that which stands in opposite of God, in opposition to God, that is the world. Why? Because God is light. And anything that is not willing to be in the light is in opposition of God. And in that sense, what John is saying is that the believer, that person that believes in who Jesus is, is not to love that system, which stands in contrast to God. Therefore, to love the world, that system, is to not love God. And as we saw, uh, the, system stand, the, excuse me, the system that stands in opposition to God is marked by three characteristics. The cravings of sinful men, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and what he does, his pride and possessions. But John reminds his readers about the world and its characteristics. And, th and this is good because when I look at that list, I see myself a little too much in there. I'm like, oh wait. That kind of defines me. What, what do I do with this? And John reminds us, no, no, no. It doesn't come from the Father, but it comes from the world because God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. So what he's saying is when we get heartbreak, abuse, disease, um, if God's, it, it, this isn't God performing an experiment or a trick. No, this is the product of living in a fallen and sinful world that these will be the things that are at our disposal. However, the good news is that the world and its desires will pass away. And this system of rebellion against God, it's temporary. So John says, make your choice, light or dark darkness, 
temporary or eternal life, the life, your life, or the life of God. Now, John now turns to what the church should believe about God. And he says this in verse 18, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the antichrist is coming, even now, many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up in a Christian home, every time we heard the phrase last days, we'd get a little chill. We'd get a little scared, just a little bit. Or if you wanted church attendance, you would preach on the last days and people would come in. Um, But as we see in the Old Testament and New Testament, the last days is where the church lives in. Because this is from the appearing of Christ to the return of Christ. This is what we celebrate at Advent. His appearing, God in flesh, and the return of the King. And so the last days is where the church should be. We shouldn't be scared of that. This is good, this is a time marker. However, John doesn't use the phrase last days. What does he say? Last hour, Uh uh-oh, that that sounds a bit more uh, closer (laughs) than that. Well, I think what he's saying here is that, because he mentions it twice in verse 18, this is what he means that John is not worried about chronological, okay? Like when will this happen? When will the last days happen? When will the last hour? But in fact, he wants to look at this theologically. What does God have to do with your life and the world now? Meaning the time you have now in this life, there will be those that go against the light. And so you can see that based on who Christ is. That's how people are identified. And then he uses a phrase, antichrist. Now, I think some of us may, again, a little chill, some of us may be familiar with the term antichrist, um, you know, and the concept that's presented by different theologies, but I would suggest that most of those are mistaken. Because here, did you know that the word antichrist, it's actually found in First and Second John? We would think it's found in Revelation, right? But no, it's just found here. This is it. And even John wrote Revelation and he didn't mention it. And sometimes what we do is we connect the Antichrist with something that is scary or bigger. And that's just not what's happening because John even said, as you have heard, so his readers have heard this before. They've heard this teaching um, that this is not a prophecy regarding some scary person in the distant future who will take on God and his people. This isn't the final boss level of Christianity. <laughs> you know, this is, um, what he's warning against is this. He is saying, not that some people will want to be Christ. That's different. Jesus talks about false Christ, but he's talking about the antichrist. And this is someone who denies Christ who denies who he is, denies the Trinity, everything that God is. As John will say later in chapter four, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is, com- which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So again, friends, we shouldn't conjure up an image of an individual in the future Uh, who will seek to take over the world, but rather John in a pastoral way is saying, dear children, as he calls them, 
in being able to discern who is a true believer. How do we know? How do we know if they're a heretic or a false teacher? How do we know that they are truly following Christ? And John continues with this, verse 19. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Verse 21, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. So John is saying those who are not true believers do not belong to the people of God. Thus, they do not remain, giving evidence that they are not true believers. But here's where I think we need to be careful. This isn't just saying, well, if we disagree with someone on an issue, that they are the enemy, that they are not in Christ. If I read from the NIV, but somebody reads from the ESV, and they're like, oh, that's heresy. No, but it's the extra special version. This is good. But no, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, what we're talking about is if somebody denies who Christ is. And that's a big deal. That was a big deal in John's time, and it's a big deal in our time, because I think it happens way more than we realize. Uh, this past week, I was working out to a workout video. Don't worry, I promise it'll never happen again. But I was working out, and the instructor, as we're doing our crunches, he said, bless the Lord, oh my abs. Now, I thought it was funny at first, because I'm kind of, I'm like, yes, bless the Lord, you know. But then he continued during the workout and said, you know, if you ever went to church, you would hear people say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. But since you don't have a soul, you should just bless your abs. So, oh Lord, bless my abs. And then I stopped altogether. I'm like, what? Are you preaching at me right now? You're supposed to be motivating me. What's in your energy drink? This is crazy. Because the opposite is true for me. Like, I do have a soul. I don't have abs. So what... What is going on here? You laughed a little too hard at that. <laughs> but here's what I think is happening. And I'd like to use this as an illustration. So again, I know there was a lot of repetitive things in there. I just wanted to be faithful, go verse by verse. But here is what John is saying. This isn't to say who's holier than thou, who's better. No, it's to find out who really trusts Jesus simply because he's Jesus? And what he's talking about is this. So here you have the light of love, or excuse me, the light of God. So this is his knowledge. This is who he is. This is the truth of who God is. Jesus' incarnation, God in flesh, fulfiller of prophecies, the Trinity, the way, the truth, the life, the beginning and the end, the holy and righteous judge. This is who he is. This is truth. But then in Jesus, you also have love. He is forgiving. He is patient. He's kind. He's generous. He's unconditional. He is eternal love. And so what John is saying is these truths that we have, we put in our relationship with God. Let's see if your pastor can do this. 
There we go, there's one. So my identity, well, where do I put it? Well, I'll put it in the knowledge and love of God. So I put it in there. And then what about my future? I get kind of freaked out sometimes. I don't know what's going to happen. Well, what do I do with it? Well, I put it in the knowledge and theology of God, but also the heart of God. Well, what about my relationships? What do I do with those? They get super messy. Well, I put it in the truth of his unchanging word and the grace of his unchanging love. It's awesome. And I'm in. I'm secure. But what we do sometimes, and what John is warning us against, is sometimes we pull these two parts of God apart. And what happens is it all shakes out. Because what we did is we separated the truth of God and the heart of God, right? And I see this all the time. Well, Matt, the world is just too scary. It's too much. I can't interact with it. So what do I do? I stay with the knowledge of God. He's powerful. He wins. He's truth. No one's better than him. And I stay here. And that's great. But then what ends up happening here? Well, I don't do what he commands me to do. And I, I don't trust what he commands me to do. And what ends up happening is I become so good with the knowledge of God that instead of loving other people with that knowledge, I just judge them. I become God myself. I'm like, ah, you'll never make it. Ah, I know you. Ah, no, no, no. And what happens is we push relationship away. But then the same with love. We love love. We were made in the image of love. But sometimes what happens is when we love people to the knowledge of God, sometimes that love can be a little painful. It rubs the wrong way. It's a little too much. Because it's like, wait, wait, I, I have to do what now? I have to trust him for what now? That, that's too much. Can't can you just love me for who I am? And what we do sometimes is we say, ah, you know what? You're right. I don't want to see you go through any more pain. I just want to love you. So how about I just love you with your knowledge and with your truth and with your identity and, that, and I'll just comfort you and support you in love because that's what I do as a Christian. But I pull these two apart and what happens is I think I'm more loving than God. Now, I think we could boil all of our problems down to these two things. We either don't trust the knowledge and truth of who God is, or we don't trust his love. It's too slow. It's not timely. It needs to be a bit quicker. How about in our marriages? I do this all the time in my marriage. You know, it's like, yep, I'm staying with my wife, one, because no one else will be with me, but I'm staying with Kat because I made a covenant with God. And so that's the truth. But then the loving part, well, Kat wasn't very nice to me today. And I did the dishes. I did the laundry. I did all the things. And what happens is instead of being secure in the truth of who God is, I think, well, you're not loving enough because Kat hasn't served me enough today. She hasn't blessed me enough today. That's God's job. 
And I would have known that if my foundation was back on his truth. But because it was just my love, it's based on me and my standards and my expectations. And we can do this in our parenting, in our relationships, in our jobs, the things that we deal with in the past, the things that we're dealing with now. I think it does come to, to the issue of, do we just trust his knowledge? It sounds good, sounds smart. Or do we just want the love? And we keep separating the two. And we'll conclude with this. The problem with that is that you only get half of God. And this is what John is talking about. Don't just be satisfied with half of God. He is light. He is love. Be satisfied with him. As he concludes, verse 24, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. The KJV says to actually seduce you away. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has been taught to you, remain in him. I think in our world, instead of seeking out after new ideas and new thoughts, because what's happening in John's church, it sounds like people are tired of Christ, tired of his knowledge and of his mission and of his love. And so that, what if sin actually doesn't exist? What if this, what if that? And I think we need to stop seeking after new ideas. We actually need to be rooted in both the truth, the love, the entire person of who Jesus is. He is Father, He is Son, He is Spirit. He is God. And what will happen in this, as we see in the verse, God will teach us all of these things. So he, here's the objective part. He will teach us everything that we know why we exist, why the world exists, how we should behave, how we should act, how we should operate in this life with him and with others. He'll teach us that. But his indwelling, his anointing is real and it's not counterfeit. Now this is subjective. Now, just like John who was with Jesus gets to live this out. Hey, I know it because I saw him, but because I saw him, I do it. I trust him, I follow him. And both of these are great gifts. At this time, I'll invite the worship team back up. But in a culture that seems to worship innovation, I think we need to get back to worshiping who God is. And just like my video instructor, he's talking about the things that he can control, his abs, his physical appearance, all of these things. But instead of going back, separating, finding the things we can control, what if we allow God to be God and allow him to be in control of all these things? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you now. And I don't know where we're at right now. 
Lord, for some of us, maybe we've just been living off the knowledge of you and that has been enough. But Lord, we've been missing your heart. And we wonder where you are sometimes because we know the answer to all the questions, but we have no one to talk to. We have no way to see if we're having faith in the things that you've given us faith for. Well, Lord, maybe we, we love being love. And so we reach out to everyone. No one is below us. But Lord, when it's time to have a conversation that really matters, that could add value to a life, we may be afraid that it's too restricting. We may be afraid that it's just too harsh. And so we push away your guidelines. We push away your words and we define our own love. Or maybe we're here tonight and we didn't even know this is who you are, that you are light and you are love. So God, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that if there's anything that I said that distracted from who you are, would you remove that? And God, bring our attention yet again to who you are. We're in a world that says lots of lies, lots of false knowledge, but God, may we never be persuaded by the knowledge, but may the knowledge just point us to you, to your heart. May we be swayed by the person that you are. In Jesus' name, amen.